How is everybody? Well, I've got three slots tonight. Uh, in the final slot, we're going to do something which I trust will be revolutionary in your life at this time, in that we are going to share what you may know as communion, the sacraments, the breaking of bread, whichever tradition you may be from. Uh, some of you may think, well, I, I haven't been confirmed or I was never baptized into the Catholic Church or I don't know what you guys need to have me to have for that. It doesn't matter. Right. You're welcome. Yes. The table that... Um, Jesus told her to celebrate. It doesn't say stay away, it says come. Okay, and we'll, we'll get to that as we go. We've got to build the story just a little bit before we have some more music. I want to talk to you in this first session about time. Um, of course, the Bible is written in Greek and in Hebrew, and um, some of the stuff I want to talk about tonight comes from some Hebrew concepts, and of course the Jews were Hebrews, so therefore they thought in a certain way. Now, you and I have been trained to think in, through a Greco-Roman mindset. Our influence comes from the Greeks and the Romans, and uh, even the way we perceive things like time comes from our Greek-Roman influence. In the Hebrew language, there is actually no word for time in the abstract sense that we understand time as a thing. The Hebrews didn't have a word to describe that. In fact, to the Hebrews, past, present, and future, there's no real word to describe that. There's only a word that says all of that sinks into a place called now. So everything they ever introduced, talked about, or understood meant that whether it was past, present, or future, what, what mattered was that that would be a reality now. And if it wasn't a reality now, then it wasn't a reality. So we tend to think about time in terms of linear. For example, you're born, you live, you die. So we think of everything in those terms, which is, is quite a fatalistic view of time. So all of us are understanding them. And I passed 58 a few weeks ago, and you begin to realize, hmm, quite 58, that's, that's not as good as 18, is it? Um, you realize I used to be nearer to the cradle, but now actually I'm nearer to the grave, unless I have anything to do with it, in which case... I'll still be around in about another 100 years or so, but uh, I'm not quite sure how that's going to figure out, but there you go. The point is we think of it linear and we think of time as quantitative. So, so we're very aware of the ticking of the clock. Everything to us is about the ticking of the clock, about time and about schedules. But you see, Hebrews never thought that way. They thought, first of all, as time cyclically, rather than linear. Now, that's very wonderful because if you were to go out of this building tonight and try to talk to a tree about linear time, now you may not wish to do that and you're not likely to see me doing that because things can happen to you when you do that, but if you were, <laughs> if you were to do that, the tree would disagree. Because at this time of year, the tree is showing you that time actually is cyclical. It looked as though it was over. It looked as though everything was lost. But all of a sudden, it's starting to spring buds that says, do you know what? Maybe 
dead things can come back to life. And so in the Hebrew thinking, there was always the concept that dead things could come back to life. Maybe that's why Jesus was born a Jew. Maybe that's why the Jews had to be the bearer of the message. Now, I'm not sure they've done a lot of good with the message, but bearing the message was, you know, dead things can come back to life. That's why tonight is all about celebrate the win, right? Not celebrate the death, celebrate the win. Jesus didn't die to show you you could die, because you know that. He died to show you that dead things can come back to life. And that's the whole message. So, so Hebrews think of time not as linear, or you start here and you finish there, but cyclical. Something can happen to change the course, the direction, the destiny of your life tonight. But they also don't think of it as quantitative, ticks of a clock. They think of it as what's called qualitative. In other words, time only counts in the Hebrew mind if it's significant. Now, this is fascinating because as a Bible scholar, as a theologian, I know one of the criticisms that people raise about the Bible is, oh, there are contradictions. For example, there's all these things, this followed this, which followed this, which followed this, and they said that's not true. Historically, you can prove that's not true. Or it gives you a line of people who gave birth to this person, who gave birth to this person, and they say it's not true. But you see, in the Hebrew mind, if it was meaningless, it doesn't count. Only that that's meaningful, only that that's significant, only that that's productive counts. So you get great chunks of history in Jewish history completely missed out. Because he's not looking at the issues of the problems that were non-productive, but wants our life to be made up of things that are significant. So the message of the Bible is not, you're awful. The message of the Bible is God wants your life to be totally and completely significant, to not be governed by linear thinking that says, well, I guess you live and you just have to put up with it and it dies, but that says that in every dead thing, there can be this amazing release of life. So my first point to you is this, and I hope this means something to you in your life, that dead things, whatever that dead thing is, however that thing died, and whatever that thing died, it can live again. There's life in dead things. Now, let me bring you back to the Hebrews before I go and sit down. They didn't believe in past, present, and future. They believed all that got sucked into this place called now. So, the wonderful thing is, if dead things can live again, dead things can live again now. In fact, let me be more accurate to the Hebrews. They believed it was in this millisecond, this very second now, which of course now is not now, because that was then, so it's this millisecond now, which is hard to explain because now that's not now, that's then. So it's this millisecond now. That's what the Hebrews understood in time. So whatever God said could be, it could be only and completely, not linear thinking sometime in the future, and not being problematic by something that happened in the past, but everything was this can be for you right now in this millisecond of time, right in this place where you are. That's my first challenge to you. Hi, I'm back again. I want to talk to you this second little slot 
a little bit about um, the Last Supper and just tie it to what we've already said about our understanding of, of time. Um, in the book of Luke, um, it mentions that this Last Supper that Jesus celebrated with his disciples, it actually mentions two cups, okay? It mentions one during the meal that Jesus passed around, and then he mentions another one that he passed around at the end of the meal. Now, uh, some of you will have some familiarity with Jewish custom and with teaching on the communion. Uh, so I'll keep it real simple for all of you because some of you won't. Now, when Jesus celebrated the Passover, it coincided with a feast that the Jews celebrated every year since they were in captivity and slavery in a place called Egypt, which was a long time ago, which is where Moses comes on the scene. Now, you've all heard of Moses, right? That's where Moses comes on the scene. And um, in that feast, they used to have four different cups that they would celebrate. <clears throat> they were connected to um, four declarations in the second book of the Bible, Exodus in chapter 6 and verse 6, there is a declaration of what the Jewish people knew as the four I wills, where God began to say, I will do this and I will do that. Now, what I find fascinating about that in the context of how we have then adulterated the emphasis of what we know as the gospel, the message of Jesus, is that it sounds to all intents and purposes that we have not been presented with a bunch of I wills, but a bunch of you musts. Okay, So most of us, our, our, our reticence towards Christianity and, and the God of, of the Christian faith and the God of Jesus is that we feel that his message was one of you must. Okay, But I need you to know, back in Exodus, it's not the four you musts, it's the four I wills. Hence the reason why when we do my third session and we are going to give you the opportunity to take communion, it's not because you must, it's because he said I will. Okay, uh, And therefore, if he said, I will, whatever it said that I will, that's what he will do. And if we understand the process of time, and remember what we said, that the Hebrews only understood time to be this moment in time, then whatever he said, I will do, it's I will do that now, which is good for us, because we're not Hebrews, we're not Jews, we're not in Israel, we're not at the crucifixion and the resurrection 2,000 years ago, and we're not way back in deliverance from Egypt long before that at this feast of the Jews. But it means today we have a possibility of something incredible taking place. Now, Jesus shares this supper with his disciples at the Passover time. But what's fascinating, in the book of Luke, which is the most comprehensive record, we only read of two cups and not four. Now, I've mused over that, and I think I have an answer. Because the last two cups of those four cups were very interesting. These are the last two cups. The last two cups were the third one was called the cup of redemption. And this is what it was based on. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. That's what was said way back in the time of the children of Israel, back in Exodus, way, way before Jesus ever walked the earth. How fascinating then that Jesus who's sharing this is saying, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. Isn't it fascinating you miss out the first two because the third one was a message to say, I'm going to do something 
by stretching out my arms to invite you in the I will, what I will do, I'll do with outstretched arms. Which seems to suggest to me it just might have been talking about what was going to happen in just a few hours' time. In what we know as Good Friday, when a sacrifice was given and, and, and Jesus stretched out his hand. Does that make sense? So, so he was saying somehow to us, I will redeem you, which means I'll buy you back. I'll, I'll, I'll rectify whatever's the issue in your life with outstretched arms. That's why I believe in the power of the cross. And then after the supper, he takes another cup, which was known as the cup of kingdom or the cup of praise or the cup of resurrection, which is interesting. And the promise with that was, I will take you as my people and I will be your God, right? Now, I want you to notice it doesn't say there, you must take me as your God and then I will allow you to be my people. You don't get to play a part in this. We've been excluded, not rudely, but wonderfully. It says, is this cup, I will take you as my people and I will be your God, whether you like that or not. But I think if you really understand it, you're going to like it a lot. So, let's move this thought on now, because we've got this going on. The funny thing is that John, who was, who was one of Jesus' disciples, who wrote the Gospel of John in the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there is no record in John's Gospel of most of these details that are in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It's not structured in the same way. But what John does, he talks about something else. When they come into the supper, he gets all concerned about the fact that they have dirty feet. Now, I want you to understand something. First of all, they probably wore sandals. They were Jews. They did not wear sandals with bobbly socks. And I really do have to take a moment here just simply because of passion. Bobbly socks, sandals, no. I... I profoundly believe God says, I will take you as my people. However, if he finds you in bobbly socks and sandals, I do have a question mark. There's all the issues going on in the church about gay marriage and all kinds of stuff. I think this is a bigger issue on the agenda. So any of you guys that do it, don't. Just don't. It's not good. You are not meant to wear them like that. I appreciate flip-flops and white English feet don't look a lot better, but it does look better. Jesus smiles on that. Socks and sandals, no. Uh, Jesus does not smile on that. If ever he turned his face from humanity, that's the point. So the issue is, John doesn't deal with that. John somehow gets onto this thing that the disciples come into the supper and there's a ball in the corner and a towel because, of course... When you lived in that time with your sandals and no bobbly socks and your bare feet and it was hot and you were sweating and there were camels and donkeys pooing and peeing in the, in the soil and you were walking in all that and there was garbage and junk and, and, and no effective way of getting rid of sanitation, you were walking in all that stuff and your feet simply got dirty from the way that you walked. You picked up all the rubbish of life. You stank of where you'd walked. But John says it's important to understand that this Last Supper is about removing the way you stink from where you've walked. All the stuff that you picked up, not by your fault. You didn't poop and then walk in it. 
You walked in poop that somebody else had done, but all of us pick it up in our lives and we finish up with dirty feet. Sometimes we're so concerned about dirty hearts, we forget about the stuff we just picked up on the way. And John says, I want you to know that this celebration is about knowing that the stuff you picked up in the process of life that makes your life look and smell like it is, Jesus said, at this feast, I want to wash that away. I want to give you a new start on your journey, on your feet, where you're going to walk in life. I want to give you a fresh start. So none of the disciples did it, but Jesus takes the bowl and the towel and he gets down and he begins to wash his disciples' feet. This was important to John for the reason that I've told you. But let me just specify what that really means. It means that John was saying that Jesus is into foot washing, not fault finding. Now here's the problem. The way you were taught about God, it's not the I wills, it's the you musts. And the way you were taught about Jesus was that he's into fault finding, not into foot washing. But that's not what the Bible says. It says he's into foot washing. So as we come today, in this moment, find ourselves within making lots of I wills, he says, if you'll just let me wash your feet, let me wash the stuff off you that you picked up because of the experiences of life, most of which were not your fault, but you've picked up and they're kind of damaging you. He said, I want to change your life by washing them away. That's what's going to happen when we get to the third session. Not your feet are going to get washed because I ain't touching your feet. That's pervy. Like the story, and we don't need to do that tonight. One other thought, which leaves me then for my last session. We then come back to this amazing, the disciples are together, Jesus at the Last Supper. And this, this is how the Apostle Paul writes about it. He talks about, I received from the Lord that which I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night he was betrayed, took bread, broke it, and gave thanks, said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. I want you to remember that. In the same way, he took the cup, the wine, also after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Now, here's what I want to say before I sit down. That word remembrance, the people who were writing that, saying that, struggled to find a word that would reflect what we said about time. Because, of course, now this is written in Greek, and we can have a Greek view of time that's linear. So what happened, happened, and what will happen, will happen, and we're stuck in the middle. So they got this wonderful Greek word that's called anamnesis. Wonderful word, anamnesis. Now, many of you know what the word amnesia means? Amnesia means not just that you can't remember things. It means you have completely lost connection with what was the reality in your life. That's amnesia. It's not just forgetting something. I'm forgetful. I call things doings now at 58. You get the doings. But I don't have amnesia. I haven't lost connection with the reality of my life as it is. I just forget some things. Well, anamnesis is the opposite word to amnesia. It means that there is a reconnection with the reality that needs to be in your life. So when he says, remember me when you eat the bread and when you drink the wine, he's not saying, oh, yeah, that's right, Jesus died 2,000 years ago. Forgot. What he's saying, anamnesis means this. It means that you connect with that as a reality, 
but you bring it as a reality into your life right now. Remember the concept of time in the Hebrew, no future, no past, only this moment time, that what happened therefore that day in Jesus' promise, he said, what I want you to do is not remember it, oh, Jesus died, but to say, wow, I connect with the reality of that. And he says, if you will connect with the reality of that, it will become a reality now. So it's not about what did Jesus do 2,000 years ago. It's about what does that break out into my life right now? What's the reality of the expression? If this is true, then resurrection is not 2,000 years ago. Resurrection's now. Right? Everything that's needed for me to be at peace with myself and with God and with the world is not 2,000 years ago. It's now. So we're going to have an anamnesis tonight a little later. I'm done, that's me for that session. Well done, Dan. I'm back. Thanks, boys. I smell us. Some people might think um, uh, this is a slightly irreverent look at Easter. I would beg to disagree. Um, while being utterly and totally touched and moved by the incredible selfless sacrifice of Jesus on Good Friday, which um, just is a full expression of amazing love. Um, the resurrection is really something to celebrate. And uh, Jesus only died for one reason, so that he could rise from the dead to show you what we said at the beginning, that dead things can live again. So he wasn't trying to draw your attention to his death, although that's important and it was necessary. It was necessary for the failure of humanity because if you want to really get rid of something forever, the best thing is kill it. So God's idea was amazing. If you want to get rid of all that's wrong with humanity forever, in everybody you'll receive it, best thing is kill it. So he did. But the problem is, if you kill it and you're dead, that doesn't help much, does it? Hence the Easter story is about the resurrection of Jesus. It's about life from the dead. It's about then this anamnesis of saying, that can be your reality in the moment. Remember what we said about amnesia is when you lose touch with reality. Anamnesis is when you reconnect reality with your life. And the reality of the death and resurrection of Jesus can be connected with, is a reality, and can become truth in you so you can come alive today. So, I want to finish off, because in a moment, we're going to give you the opportunity to have the bread and wine of communion. Now, a couple of things I want to say about that, and then I'm going to give you a point, we're going to do it. Um, I'm going to have some people come with the bread and with the wine. And uh, I want you to know, first of all, this. That what Jesus did at the Last Supper was not to show who was disqualified. It was to show who was qualified. Now, that was not an ignorance of the truth. There's an amazing verse that says this in, in, in the book of Corinthians. It says, let a man examine himself. Okay, we can do that, can't we? But then it says, and so, 
let him eat. So it doesn't say let a man examine himself to prove he can't eat. It says just be honest about yourself for goodness sake. And when you've been honest about yourself, recognize the I wills, not the you musts. Which is why Jesus takes those two cups and he says, I will redeem you with outstretched arm. Who will redeem you? Not you. So he outstretched his arms to say, I will redeem you with outstretched arms. Good, that's that. We can tick that one off. He did it. And he says, I will be your God. You will be my people. He didn't say you need to be my people. And if you're willing to be my people, I'll be your God. He said, I will be your God. You will be my people. So here's the bread and here's the wine because in the light of the truth about yourself, he says, so in the light of that, understanding that, eat, drink. Or in other words, let the life in his body be the life that's in your body. Let the joy that's in his blood be the joy that's in your blood. Have an anamnesis moment. Make that reality in this moment now. Because remember, no past, no future in the Jewish thing. The only word we've got is in this moment. Can that really become a reality for me? And so I'm going to ask the guys now to come and get the bread and get the wine, whoever's doing it. And we're going to offer it to you. I'd like to feel that everybody in here would like to take some bread and wine. Because I give you permission I give you permission on the authority of what we've just said. I give you permission on the fact he said, I will, not you must, okay? And I'm also giving you the opportunity to have an anamnesis. Because if what they believe was right, what they said is, when I do this, this is not thinking of something 2,000 years ago. This becomes a reality in me now. Wouldn't it be amazing, just the thought, if the life that was in Jesus touched your life tonight... And if the resurrection from the dead that occurred in Jesus happened in your life and experience tonight, I don't care if you're an atheist. Have a go. Yay. Come on. And I don't care if you're religious. In fact, I'm a little more worried with that because often the problem with religious people is when it says let a man examine himself, we think, I can eat, I can drink, I'm so flipping perfect and amazing. Well, you're not. When God looks at your heart, he sees bobbly socks and sandals, okay? You're not. We're all in the same boat. Uh, if you ask me tonight, am I a Christian, I'll say yes, but I always follow that with not a very good one. Because <laughs> I want you to know we're all in the same boat. And you know, all these guys that Jesus gave the bread and wine to, do you know what the next thing was that they did? Walked away from him, left him. Said, I don't know him. I've no clothes. This guy, I don't even know what you're talking about. That's what his close disciple, this guy Peter, said. No idea. It wasn't until after the resurrection that one by one they started sneaking back and coming to faith because they had an anamnesis moment that was nothing to do with the physical body of Jesus and the physical blood of Jesus. Now it was the physical reality of the life of God in Jesus coming on the inside of them and their lives were transformed. The good news of the gospel is lives get transformed. So like I said, I don't care whether you're a Buddhist, an atheist, we call yourself what you like, I don't care. Transformation of life is a wonderful thing and God offers it. And he offers it in Jesus. So I'm going to ask the guys to go and, and spread this out. I'd love you to have some. Like I said, I don't want anybody to feel, well, I've not been, you know, said the magic words, signed the card, had water splashed on me. 
I'm inviting you in Jesus' name tonight, not the Church of England's name or the Pentecostal's name or the Methodist, in Jesus' name. So I want, we're all going to take it together, so hold on. I was going to suggest we throw the glasses on the stage till I realized that they have to come up and do something afterwards. They can sweep them off. And we'll remind you, we're celebrating the win. We're celebrating the win. We're celebrating the win. So while they're doing that, and you're getting your bread and your wine, let me say a couple of things. The taking of this cup and this bread is going to mean one of two things. It's either a declaration of the death of Jesus, or it's a declaration that we're now under a completely new covenant, a new legal agreement, a new promise from God, a new deal. I propose to you that Jesus brought a new deal with this, because that's what he said. He said, this cup is the new covenant. It's a new deal. You got a new deal with God, okay? All of the deals are off. A new deal. Now, today, because it's anamnesis, because it's this moment... And, and also that the whole thing is a celebration of, of the wind that Jesus proclaimed from the cross. John wrote about it in John 19. When Jesus gave his last words on the cross, he said this, it is finished. finished. That, that's like the judge at the end of a trial, banging his gavel and saying, this court is no longer in session. The business we had to do is done. Goodbye, everybody, and thank you. When Jesus said it is finished, he was saying, the trial's over, the judgment's been made, I judge you righteous because of the sacrifice of my son, done deal, let's party, is what he was saying. So let me say this as we finish, and I would also like some bread and, and juice whenever anybody can get me some, it's fine, thanks Dan, that's the servant's heart for you, thanks Dan, I can't hold everything so I'm going to put it down there. I think this, what I'm about to tell you, I think, is, is one of the most incredible revelations and understandings, okay? We, we're at the Last Supper. Here's Jesus. He, take, he takes this cup that's so meaningful, and, and he lifts it up. And he says to these boys, he says, guys, he says, this, this cup is the new covenant. Now, now remember what we've learned about here? I'd say you've learned some stuff tonight. I hope you're going to throw notes on the stage when you're finished. You've learned Greek and Hebrew and history and Jesus said this cup is. Now when is, is. This cup is, so it's never a will be and it never a was, it's always an is. So when you take it, it's still an is. This cup is, he said the new covenant, that, that means it's a new deal, okay? Brand new deal, all of the deals are off, this is a brand new deal, this is the new covenant in my blood, I want you to all drink of it and I want you to drink all of it. Because he said whenever you do this, you're proclaiming that what Jesus did worked. That's my words at the end, right? That what Jesus did work, that it's finished and it's finished in our favor. But here's what I wanted to say before we take this bread and, and wine. What Jesus didn't say, I think, was possibly more important than what he did say, for this reason. We had up to this point, over 1,500 years of history, leading to this day, and Jesus never said a word about it. He never referred to the past 1,500 years. 
In fact, here's what he was saying without using the words. He was saying, as you take this cup, here's the words. I'm declaring that all I have to say about your past is that it brought you to today. So, you've been raised with this God who's got all this stuff down about your past. But Jesus was declaring, when all he said was, all, that's all he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. He was really saying to us, all I want to say about your past, in all that it contains, is that it brought you to this day. So listen, the only relevant thing about your past is it brought you to today. So God doesn't really care what your past is or what you think about your past, other than you realize because of anamnesis and time that it brought you to today. Therefore, this day, this cup is a new covenant in your life for you, a done deal, finished, that brings all the power of that resurrection into your life right now. And I want to say, strange though it seems, you can receive it tonight by faith as you receive this knowing that this is what God promised to you in the sacrifice of Jesus, but it's a now, it's an is, and it's happening now. So in Jesus' name, Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you, thank you for your brilliance. You're absolutely, you, you were brilliant to figure this out. Thank you that it worked and for us, and we appreciate that tonight. So I pray for every life in here today, that everyone will realize that all you're saying about our past tonight is that that brought us to today. And that here is the new covenant for us, a reality in our lives. So I pray that lives will change. I pray tonight that the same resurrection miracle that brought dead things to life will bring dead things to life in us today and that the life that is in you will be in us today. We receive it by faith in Jesus' name. So I invite you to eat the bread and then we'll celebrate the cup and the scripture reference for the cup. It's from the book of Pink, album 8, song 17, if you want to go and look it up, which says, raise your glass. <laughs> I love it. It says, you dirty little freak. <laughs> That's what you are, in case you hadn't realized it. But God says, all that your past is, all I've got to say about that brought you to today. So that as we raise our glass in celebration, it says we're gonna be we're gonna be loud. Never gonna be anything but loud. So if you wonder tonight why this passion, why this loudness about what Jesus did, because we ain't gonna be anything but loud in view of what we have learned and what he's taught us. So I invite you to raise your glass to the King, to Jesus, and be a receiver of the new covenant in Jesus' name. And then if you want to throw your glass on here, you can. Just don't cover anybody with drink. All right. Why so serious? Yeah! So raise your glass if you are wrong. 